0: I'm Sarah. And I'm Beth. We're lawyers, mothers, and co-hosts of the bipartisan podcast, Pantsuit Politics. We have more in common than divides us. In a world that defaults to false dichotomies, we explore the
1: messiness of living wisely. The choices, trade-offs, priorities, and grace of living a nuanced life. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Months Life, we're going to do something a little different today because we had a number of advice questions that sort of revolved around similar themes. And I'm going to loosely categorize those themes as how do I adapt in my work life and how do I adapt in my family life for what is going to be a long stretch of the in-between where things are reopening, lots of us are still working from home, there are still restrictions in place. What's our approach across the board here? And we thought we would begin today by sharing one shift that has happened for us at Pansy Politics, given this changing landscape.
0: I think what happened in the very beginning is we had two instincts that weren't bad. But as this Stretches out in time, they have begun to work at cross purposes. The first instinct was good. We said, We can only do one thing a day. Like, we can simply only do a thing a day. (laughs) Record a show, do an interview, have a phone call. Because our kids are home, we just had to dramatically dial back our expectations. But the cross purposes is we have this other instinct, which is this work makes us feel better. We started doing nightly check ins on patreon that felt like this is just a nice way to plug in and decompress and talk about our work and that felt really good and then we did news briefs with the kids because it felt like oh good this is like something to occupy both our work and our kids we're like doing two birds one stone we're so smart and (laughs) then it just and then it was like you wanted to get back to the nightly nuance because I think that really serves you. So then we were doing two things a night. And then all of a sudden we made this list of everything we're doing every day. It was, first of all, not one thing. <laughs> it, was, it was many times over one. Never even close to one. Mm-hmm. Not close to one. And look, I think this happened in my personal life, too. Like you do something like, oh, yeah, it does sound good to make bread. It sounds fun. It sounds like something like... That'll help you leave your stress and getting your mind off things. And it was at first. And then it became a burden. And, like, this weekend was the first week I didn't make bread. And it dramatically reduced my stress level. Because I think at the beginning in an acute crisis, it's like you do need a little bit of distraction. And so you dial it up a little bit. But now as we're, like, trying to really adapt to this new reality, we have to simplify in order to be able to cope like dramatically simplify what we're asking ourselves, because it's not just the stress of the change, but it's the energy to sustain that change that's really, I think, hitting so many of us.
1: And so that is kind of our guiding light right now. Like, okay, how are we going to cope with a long stretch with kids around us all the time? How are we going to cope with a long stretch of listeners being in really intense, personally volatile situations that they're emailing us about, and we want them to do that. Every single thing is different. So how do we, knowing that it's going to stay different, that we're not just doing this sprint of, oh, school's closed for a couple weeks, how do we adjust? And that has meant for us, like, getting serious about going through and saying, why do we do this? Does this need to continue right now? Is this costing more energy than it's worth in terms of serving our audience or serving what we do? And it is a really hard analysis. And sometimes the brain power of that analysis feels overwhelming. Mm hmm. And I think that's just something we want to share with you all because I can imagine that similar things are happening in your work. I am getting to just this point of real strip down in terms of my community involvement. I just can't hang with everything that I had before all of this. I chair a board of directors. I've canceled a board meeting. Like there are people who are scheduling all kinds of emergency things. I just canceled an entire quarter's board meeting. But our staff wanted that. Preparing for that board meeting was more trouble than it was worth to them at that moment in time because they, too, are trying to cope, right? And so I reached out and said, what do you really need right now? And they said, we really need that board meeting to be canceled. And then later said, we really need care packages for our staff. Everybody's having a hard time. Done and done. Great. I'm not going to invent fictitious work that doesn't need to be done And I'm also not going to pretend things are normal and force the normal through a situation that it doesn't fit anymore. And I just think the more that we can remember, if you are worn out, the people that you are like spinning the hamster wheel for to take care of are also worn out on some level too, even if they're not expressing it that way. So the more we can get ourselves into these conversations of like, how do we strip down? I think everyone will feel better.
0: When this started... We all pretty quickly adapted. This is our new normal. This is our new normal. (laughs) But like saying it doesn't make it true. (laughs) You know, saying it a lot to yourself, like, isn't the work. Adapting to a new normal is more than articulating the need out loud to adapt to a new normal. You have to rethink everything. And that is exhausting. And Often you will rethink something and it will work at first and then you will realize, oh, that in fact does not work. It's just it's really, really exhausting, especially if you are dealing with the needs of other people, which almost everyone is on some level, be it parents or community members, organizations, jobs, children, spouses, friends, like, you know, no man is an island. Even in the midst of quarantine,
1: and no woman is anywhere close to an island. <laughs> that is the truth, right?
0: And so I think that it's it's difficult under the compounded stress. It's not just the stress; it's the way the stress messes with your perception. It's like you just can't see clearly because I mean, it's like you're like walking through the mud, looking through a fog. <laughs> it's just and let me just pile on as many metaphors as I possibly can to say. That it's difficult to think clearly, to adjust accordingly, and to institute any sort of systems changes, lifestyle changes, priority changes.
1: Here is another thing that has become clear to me as we've been thinking more about simplifying. We all have this urge right now to postpone, but postpone Mm -hmm. with certainty. Let's put a new date on the calendar. Let's reschedule for this time. Let's push this to the fall. And I am realizing more and more that the year 2020 cannot be contained in, I don't know, September, October, November.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: And I think there's a very strong push right now for every gathering to be held then, every trip to take place then. Everything of importance that requires human beings in a room together to happen in the fall. And on two levels, I feel enormous anxiety about that. The first level is I'm just not sure it's going to happen from a public health standpoint. And so I really want to resist the urge to put new dates down before we have good information that our lives are such that we can be out with other humans again. And the second level, honestly, and I haven't said this out loud anywhere, so I might not say it as articulately as I wish. I think there's going to be an adjustment period to living normally yeah. again. I think there's going to be an enormous adjustment for me in going from being here, because I, I mean, I am at home. Like, we are not living anywhere approaching normal, we are not interacting with people outside of you know, Chad and me and the girls, except online. I feel a little bit nervous about what it's going to look like when we have to do that again. I want to do it again. And I also don't want to do it again to the tune of what used to look like a regular schedule for me. At least not at first, I'm going to need some time. And I have a feeling I'm not the only one. And so if I were an organizational leader right now in like a big structure, I think part of my work would be saying to everybody, we cannot keep loading up September. You have got Mm -hmm. to stop pushing people to put things on the calendar in November. We can't do it. And I think here at Pantsuit Politics, there's a big part of me that's like, we just can't reschedule all this stuff right now, at least not for the next 10 months or so, because we just we don't know what it's going to be like. And I think we are going to need to space things out a little bit. I think it's going to be really hard.
0: I feel that now. I feel that with the opening up timeline, I feel that sort of, <laughs> you know what it's like? You know what it's like? It's like door. It's like hold the door. I can. That's how it feels to me. It's like the first little crack of reopening, I feel this push of, oh, let's try this. Let's do a bike ride. Let's do a backyard barbe- barbecue. Let's do that. Like, let's get out. Let's get out. And on there's one part of me that's like, yes, can I do anything that feels different? Because I think that's what I need, but I actually don't think that's what I need. <laughs> I think it's the opposite. Like, I think this drive to say yes and let's do and yes and let's do already, because the weather's getting nice, because things are starting to reopen, is really taxing in a way that I'm not being honest with myself about. Because, you know, my preschool's last day is today and my son's sort of their last day, quote unquote, is next Monday. And so there's all this like fifth grade graduation. Oh, there's a Zoom meeting and there's a the teachers are coming by tonight and da, 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 da. And it's like my instinct is, yay, I'm home all the time. I have all this capacity to start to do some stuff. It looks like on my calendar that I do have room in my schedule. But the reality is very much the opposite. I think what I'm realizing is putting that stuff on the schedule, even though the schedule is blank, I feel burned out. And so, you know, like you said, it's like it's going to take time to recover and heal from the burnout of this situation that is not going to be over anytime soon. I cannot stop thinking about this tweet. I don't remember who said it, but I think about it a lot. It was early. It was like a week after the NBA. And she was like, I see everybody talking in terms of weeks, but you need to to adjust that 2020 is a lost year. It's the whole year. It's lost. And, like, I think I, in some ways, I've, like, held it but not talked about it because I don't think because it's different means it's lost. And at the same time, I can't forget about it because the second I read it, every cell in my body went, yeah, that's what this is. Yeah. Yep. It's going to be the year. If it's not lost, it's just different. Like we have to be, we have to give so much space to that. Whatever space we think we need, however much quiet time to recover or time in our schedule or free nights or screen time or whatever, like multiply times 10 <laughs> and then multiply it by 20 by the end of the summer and 50 by the end of the year. It's just, you know, it's, a, it's an instinct that I have to fight every time, which is, When the stress dials up, you have to dial up the stress management, even though it seems so anti-instinctual. Like, well, I don't have time to deal with stress management. I'm so stressed. But I have learned over and over again, if I do not dramatically dial it up while I'm dialing up the stress, I will suffer.
1: I think this is so important for business leaders to hear because by trying to maintain normalcy, we always meet on Tuesday at 10 we always do this, we keep logging the same number of hours every week, whatever it is, we are creating a new and unique type of burnout, totally different than any kind of burnout that we know how to address. And if your whole workforce finds itself in that state, especially when you get to the moment of feeling like we are now resuming normal operations You're not just going to lose 2020, you're going to lose 2021. And you're probably going to lose a lot of people in the process and a lot of good thinking and a lot of strategy. And I think that's part of what we're trying to do for ourselves, Sarah, is avoid that, right? Strip down now so that we can find a way for this period to be a period not of burnout, but of healing. Can we start the healing while we are still in the grieving? Can we start the healing while we are still in abnormal? Because we know that if we don't, we're just delaying when that's gonna happen. And we don't know what the opportunity for self-care is gonna look like when things go back to quote normal, because it, it won't be back. It'll be forward to something different. And we just cannot all arrive there Bleary eyed, exhausted, depleted in every way, which means we got to have some very clear priorities right now and be willing to shut everything down. I on- honestly think like the healthy part, lost is not the right word, but the healthy part in that acceptance of this year is lost is just saying, here is a long list of things that aren't going to happen this year in any form. They're not going to happen virtually. They're not going to happen by email. They're just, these things are not happening this year and that is okay. I think that positions us all so much better for when we can resume some sort of society where we're, we're in large groups together, where we're not wearing masks to the grocery store. I just feel like we'll be so much better off if we can hit that pause button now and acknowledge that it's going to be on pause for a lot longer. We're going to take a quick break and we'll come right back. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans.
0: Wave is the first bracelet that helps you feel colder or warmer at the press of a button. Ember Labs' mission is to bring thermal wellness to the world. They're passionate about using temperature to help every person feel better physically and emotionally.
1: Temperature is personal. Everyone's idea of comfortable is unique. Most public places heat or cool spaces aiming for a temperature that's comfortable for only 80% of the population, leaving many people thermally underserved. Not feeling thermally comfortable can contribute to lost productivity, increased stress levels, and can be mentally exhausting.
0: Ember Wave is there when you need relief most. All you do is press to activate Ember Wave to create a cool or warm sensation on your wrist. This sensation works with your body and mind to make you feel more comfortable in a matter of minutes. Ember Wave provides comfort in unpredictable climates, relief from stress, and support for sleep. Give the gift of thermal comfort this Mother's Day. Take
1: $70 off the Ember Wave now during their site-wide sale. Go to EmberWave, E-M-B-R-W-A-V-E dot com slash life to redeem this offer. So we've touched on... Some of the advice questions that came in. You know, we have a lot of people who are saying, my supervisor's being unreasonable during coronavirus. My work schedule is too intense. Do I take a big risk to make a change during COVID-19? And I think that's a really hard question and depends the most on the cost-benefit analysis that you have. Is the stable financial job just depleting you in a way that you don't think you'll be able to recover from on the other side of this? And maybe you take that big risk now. If the stable job is something that you can put in a container enough to keep going, and you otherwise reserve some energy, then maybe you do that later. We also got questions on how, as a family, you decide what your approach is gonna be to reopening. How often are you gonna go to the grocery store? Are you gonna go to church or not? Are you gonna go to yoga? Like, I think there are a lot of questions that families are making decisions about right now. And Sarah, I'm curious to hear what kind of conversations you and Nicholas are having about this.
0: You know, it goes back and forth for the most part Um, Nicholas has always been the safety Steve in our family, way more than me. I don't know if that's his training as a lifeguard and an Eagle Scout, but he's more likely, he's just, I think probably at the end of the day, more of a rule follower than me. I'm not the Gretchen Rubin, um, what's the one that they'll do it, but it has to make sense? Like a rebel. The questioner. The questioner. I am the questioner. And so in the beginning... When I saw clearly a spike could tax our healthcare system, like I saw the threat to my grandmother and my mother and my stepfather, and it made sense to me like I was all in. I am not going to lie and say that I am struggling right now because a peak really never came in my community and our particular county. Like, um, it's not that our rate hasn't risen. We went from three cases, I think, like end of March and now we have uh, 60 cases after a, a drive through test site came through town. And so I think I'm just struggling with, does it still make sense to be so locked down in my particular part of the country? And so, it, you know, it kind of has to make sense to me. So we have conflict where, he, where I'm ready to, like, include my parents in our circle. And he's like, I don't know, that kind of thing. That and But I don't think any of it's, like, full of conflict. Like, we're both pretty respectful of our different approaches, but we definitely have different approaches.
1: Chad and I have been pretty well on the same page about this. Chad is much more willing to go out than I am, but he mm-hmm. definitely thinks that he should be the only one in the family doing that. So we don't have this sense of, like, should we all go together to do something I think we both think the wisest thing we can do for at least the rest of the summer is to pretty well keep doing what we've been doing, which is so hard to think about. And also, I think the right call, especially where we live. And I do think there's a regional aspect to all of this. I also fear the regional aspect because um, I was reading a report this morning about how if you remove the hot spots from the United States data analysis, Mm -hmm. what you'll see is that the non-hotspots are still on the rise, that we have not hit the peak in the United States if you exclude the places that have gotten hit the hardest. And so I don't want us to go backward. I don't want this to all have been for naught. I really listen every time the governor says, don't frustrate what we've worked so hard on. When I think about us as a family, like we are so lucky that we are served well virtually by a church. It's just, it's fine for us to not be at church. And there is zero instinct in me to rush back to a physical gathering of people around worship. We are so lucky that we can go to the grocery store. Chad can go to the grocery store once a week or once every two weeks, and we're fine. And I think that's where some of this is, like, We just don't have needs that are not being met right now other than our personal socialization. And so we're going to stick with staying pretty locked down for a while until we feel really good about what's happening in the community because we don't have those needs. If you're in a different situation, I think about where my parents live. Going to the grocery store is like a 30, 40-minute drive one way for them that's different than us, right? And that might compel me to have different behaviors. There are so many things that I think have to influence where your family is. I just feel like it's a good idea to sit down and have a conversation about that and sort of name, like, what is the reason that we want to do this thing? Okay, does that align with our values or not? Do we give in to that reason or not? And sometimes the answer will be, yes, our values compel us to do this thing. And I think that's okay. The one thing that I go out in the world and do right now is delivering groceries to senior citizens. That's the one I do it once a month. And I'm still doing that because I feel like when I match up my why and my values, it compels me to go out. But that's sort of the analysis I'm trying to walk through.
0: Well, and I think there's an aspect beyond your relationship of just knowing yourself. Like a friend was asking me sort of some of my reasoning. And I said, you know, some of it is just I because I do believe this will be ongoing for a long period of time. And I know myself like if I don't give myself a a couple little things along the way, I'm going to rebel in a big way later. You know what I mean? Like you just like if you're, it's like if you're a moderation or an abstention person. Right. Like just understanding if you give yourself, you know, we've been geocaching. It's like a super distance, team friendly activity. You don't see anybody because I'm like, if I don't do something like that where I feel like I'm getting out and I'm doing something. And I'm seeing some trees that I'm going to really, really, really struggle as this goes on. And I think that's part of it, too, is just like understanding your own personality and motivations.
1: So one person asked, you know, I have a child who works in a restaurant and it feels weird to me that my child is now on the front lines of this crisis, like a high school kid who works at this restaurant and has to keep going. Do we encourage him to stick with it or to quit? And I think that that's just the the same analysis you've got to walk through, like, what is the purpose of going to work for him? Is that mm-hmm. purpose still served in this time? And how does the cost-benefit analysis look to us of that? It's exceptionally difficult. There is nothing easy about answering that question. And I think the age of the child has to factor in a lot to how much the child is really making that decision. You know, if if Jane were in high school right now and had a job and was mature enough to have a job, I do think I would have to have a really serious conversation with her that says, This is your choice. Here are some things I would be thinking about if I were you and making
0: it. As always, I'm a more authoritarian parent than you are. I would probably, especially if I had teenagers who lived in my home, would be like, No, let's just, there's no, I, there's no real financial need for you to work right now. Decreasing that risk is the, the best choice for our family as a whole. Um, but let me just be abundantly clear that I wake up every morning and thank baby Jesus that I don't have teenagers right now because that would be exceptionally difficult. Yeah, there's a totally different level of heartbreak, I think, for teenagers
1: than, than other folks through this. Okay, yeah. and then the last question I wanted to make sure that we address today, which I love so much. I'm going to paraphrase. It's like, what if I don't want to do a gazillion Zoom conversations? Mm-hmm. What if I don't want to have a call with all the people that I miss? and. And I think that there's a version of like people who are doing okay with the introversion of this or just truly are exhausted by what the day requires of them without reaching out. Like sort of a judgy thing going on about that, right? And I would like to say to the person who wrote this email, I am with you a thousand percent. I desperately miss so many people in my life and the thought of connecting with them on Zoom right now. I just, I can't do it.
0: I think I'm I'm slowly navigating from Zooms to phone calls. Don't underestimate a good phone call. I used to hate phone calls, but they're just easier. I think part of the exhaustion with Zoom for me is the scheduling. Like, I don't want to do that. Like, call me if you want to talk to me. Now, I know a lot of these are groups and so maybe that's something else we need to just be like, pump the brakes. It doesn't always have to be a gathering of five to 50 people. Like it, if you miss, you know, human to human contact in your friends, then just call a friend on the telephone like we used to back in 1995. I think that that's what I'm realizing is like a lot easier. I miss this person or I'll just call them. That's also why I really, really, really love Marco Polo. Because, it is, because I think so much of it, what's hard to manage about this time period is you just really don't know where your energy is going to be second to second. You know, at 3 p.m. during that Zoom call, you could be like, oh, my God, I'm so excited about this. Or you could be like, your kid have pitched the 16th fit that day. And you're like, I can't do this. I want to cry. Whereas Marco Polo, there's always the ability to, like, check in or, like, not deal with it. Or some. if one of your friend gets particularly neurotic, you're like, I don't want to deal with this right now. And then maybe you'll have time later. You know, that's what I think. Anything that lets you be more adaptable to your energy level when it comes to reaching out and talking to other people is more valuable than a fully packed schedule of Zoom calls.
1: Yeah, I will take any form of I can hear your voice and listen to it when I'm ready to listen to it. And you can listen to mine back when you're ready to listen to mine back. Like Voxer, text messages that are voice memos. I love hearing people's voices right now. And I also really appreciate that sense of we will all get to each other when we can get to each other. And uh, we can all maintain our personal boundaries around what our notifications are, you know, because it's just – For me, so difficult. I I had a phone call scheduled this week that I was actually really excited about. A person that I dearly love, really wanted to talk to. I was going to call her at 8.30 p.m. Two nights in a row, I just missed it completely. Like 8.30 just flew by. And I have no idea. It was on my calendar. I set an alarm. I don't know if my phone was silenced or what, but I just missed it two nights in a row. For a discussion that I wanted to have, I was really looking forward to it. And I mean, that to me is just like that was such a mirror of the universe going, Beth, you are not all together right now. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. But I think we have to have a lot of gentleness for what people can do. At the same time, I know there are people putting all these programs together because it's the only way to continue doing what they do. And because they do have jobs they care about and missions that are important to them. And I don't want to be judgy about that either. I understand why people are trying to organize a four-year-old dance lesson on Zoom. I get it. Mm -hmm. I also can't do it. And so I I hope from both ends we can have some grace about that.
0: I think grace is the order of the day all across work relationships, personal relationships, inner relationship when it comes to quarantine and the slow burn of COVID-19. We really appreciate you joining us during this difficult time and connecting with us and connecting with one another. We will be back in your ears over on Pantsuit Politics on Friday. And until then, keep it nuanced, y'all. Dylan Garvin produces The Nuanced Life. Elise Knapp is our
1: managing director.
0: The Nuanced Life is listener supported. Go to patreon.com slash
1: Life. For $5 each month, you'll receive an entire bonus episode of The Nuance Life.
0: Dante Lima is the composer and performer of our theme music. Dylan Garvin is the composer and performer of our ad music. For more information about The Nuance Life and to connect with us through our weekly email, visit pantsuitpoliticsshow.com.